if you know if you want to yes, uh, address aging you need to fix all these things uh, at the same time and not just focusing on like aspects so even if i have developed a drug that can improve mitochondrial dysfunction then i still need to address epigenetic problem changes i still need to uh, do something about the protein accumulation i still need to do something about telomere uh, shortening about the dna damage so th that's why uh, nutraceutical is so interesting you can use multiple substances that can address all these aging hallmarks in a synergistic way welcome to the seamland podcast i'm your host Seam Lund, and today our guest is dr chris verberg chris is a medical doctor researcher and author He's created a new scientific field called nutrigerontology and has coined the term second biotech age, which describes personalized precision medicine of the future. Chris is also the author of the Longevity Code and founder of Novos Labs that provides longevity supplements. Novos Core is a daily longevity drink mix with zero calories and packed with many compounds that benefit health spans such as glycine, magnesium, glucosamine sulfate, fisetin, hyaluronic acid, theanine, ginger, pterostilbene and calcium alpha-ketoglutarate. Calcium alpha-ketoglutarate is a molecule used in your body for energy production. Supplementing calcium alpha-ketoglutarate has been seen to reverse the biological age of humans by 7 to 8 years. I've been using the Novos Core for about a month and it's really good. You can get a 10% discount off Novos Core at novoslabs.com and by using the code SIIM10. SIIM10. Chris, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of uh, excited to talk with you uh, because, you know, uh there's like a few scientists who have been like let's say very prolific or <laughs> who have done a lot of uh uh let's say starting from an early age they've become like fully immersed with the science and uh written several books and uh done other research about it so you're one of those kind of people <laughs> that i stumbled upon uh, who happens to uh, be that and you're also mainly, mainly focused on like aging and uh, longevity which is also very um let's say very interesting and very popular topic in the future that you cover in your uh, blog and uh, other posts as well uh, but um, maybe let's start with like you know what made you want to become a scientist and what made you like interested in longevity specifically yeah so since young age i've been fascinated by aging uh, and in fact the big questions in life so um, this ranges from where did the universe come from is there an edge uh, at the universe to why do we have to die and what's life? Uh, why are we different from a rock? <laughs> so what makes us uh, alive? So all these big questions, I've had a big interest in since a very young age. Um, but I think uh, aging and dying, it's one of the biggest philosophical questions. Uh, why do we have to age? Uh, why does aging exist? Why do we have to die? Um, and in fact, it's usually interesting why aging exists. Um, in, in that regard, because biologists have been thinking about it for more than 150 years, why actually we have to age is we don't age because we just wear out or wear down. It's more complicated than that because nature can postpone the rate of aging or the wearing down substantially. So uh, why we have to age and why human lifespan is only around 80 years fascinated me from a very young age. And um, also why I'm so interested in aging and longevity because I have huge interest in, in how the human body works. So that's why I studied medicine. Since young age, I also knew I wanted to become a medical doctor to learn more how the, the body works, how the brain works. And um, as a medical doctor, I quickly realized that the best way to keep people healthy is by acting on the root cause of the process that causes most diseases, which is aging. Aging causes heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, cancer, osteoporosis, macrodegeneration. So if you better understand why we age, you can much better 
yeah, see how to keep people healthy for uh, the longest time possible. So, um, so I think I've been interested in aging both from a biological perspective because it's super interesting biologically what happens in the body, why the age is also very complex and I love complex stuff. Secondly, it's very interestingly philosophically speaking. So why does it, uh, why do we have to die? Why our, our lifespan is quite limited compared to some other species that can live for 200 years, like some turtles or some sharks can live up to four or 500 years. So why only 80 years for us? And uh, thirdly, because if you want to become a good doctor and um, really want to keep people healthy for as long as possible, you have to know why we age and then you can much better uh, give, uh, you can provide much better health advice. Uh, and that's also why I created a novel area. It's called Nutrigerontology. It uses insights from the aging process to provide much better health and nutrition advice and dietary advice because there are a lot of diets and there's a lot of health advice circulating, especially online. But a lot of this advice is not approached from the viewpoint of aging. And if you don't know really why we age and you don't have a good grasp of uh, the aging processes that happen in our body, um, you uh, are inclined to often provide less uh, effective health advice and even give advice that can actually accelerate aging because a lot of diets are in fact unhealthy and in one way or the other can accelerate aging. So these are some reasons why I'm, I'm very interested in aging and longevity. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's yeah, so true that uh, most people you know, don't know or they have like this uh, wrong understanding about aging itself and they don't they think of it as something that is, you know, bound to happen, which is, of course, true to a certain extent. But, you know, the rate or the speed at which you age is not, it's not, there's no, like, universal uh, blueprint to the speed of uh, at which you age. And you can definitely adjust it with lifestyle and uh, basically preventive um, healthcare. <clears throat> yes, definitely. Uh, so it's amazing uh, how lifespan can differ in nature. Are your species that don't seem to age? like specific uh, polyps, uh, hydras, it's a polyp that's called biologically immortal by a lot of biologists. Uh, so these uh, these little creatures don't seem to age. You have some jellyfish like Turritopsis dorni that can even rejuvenate itself. So when it's stressed, it becomes younger, which is very convenient. If we get stressed, we actually uh, age faster. We get gray hair, for example. Um, but uh, yeah, these animals can uh, reverse the aging process even. And there are also animals that um, in fact experience or exhibit what biologists call negligible, uh, negligible senescence. Um, so it means when they get older, they don't really get older. So their fertility stays the same. Their mortality rates stay the same after 100, 200 years or longer. Um, so these are like specific deep fish that live in the deep sea or lobsters and so on. Um, and then you have the species that age very quickly. I, mice, for example, they age uh, in one, two years. And, and uh, yeah, you have humans who have uh, quite long lifespans. Um, uh, and, but even for us, uh, how we live, uh, so whether we exercise a lot or eat healthy foods or so take supplements, can have a big impact on the age of aging. Um, definitely. So if you eat unhealthy and so on, we see in studies that if you have an unhealthy lifestyle, uh, people live 15 years less long, uh, which is significant, uh, 8 to 15 years according to studies. So if you uh, really eat healthy, exercise regularly, take care of your sleep, you can add 8 to 15 years uh, more lifespan. And even more importantly, uh, almost double of, of those number of years is improved health span. So not only you would, for example, live 10, 15 years longer, but you would suffer from aging-related diseases only uh, 15, 20 years later. Uh, so uh, we see a lot of people in the West 
already having high blood pressure or uh, cardiovascular disease when they are in their 50s. Um, but if you, live in health, uh, if you live healthy, you can postpone that until your 70s or even later. So definitely there's a big impact of the rate of aging uh, related to lifestyle. Mm, yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, but you mentioned that you create or you coined the term like nutri-gerontology. Um, so um, can you explain it a bit more? Like what does it you know, look at or what does it research? And uh, yeah, like what are maybe like some of the key points or key uh, findings? Uh, in that in that field or key ideas in the field. Yeah, well, the most powerful technology we currently have to live longer is our food. Is the way we eat, what we eat, when we eat, how we eat, that has the biggest impact on lifespan. Uh, and on the second place, you have exercise and, and, and stress reduction and, and so on. But uh, nutrition is the powerful, the most powerful method to live uh, a longer, healthier life. We already discovered that in the 1930s with experiment by uh, scientist Clive McKay, who found out that if you give animals less food, they actually live longer. It's called caloric restriction. And this was the first glimpse into the power of nutrition to impact the rate of aging and the ability to slow down or actually accelerate aging, especially if you eat a, a typical Western diet. Um, so um, yeah, that's one thing. Food is very powerful to impact aging. Um, secondly, there, is a lot, there are a lot of misconceptions about food and nutrition and diets. There are hundreds of different diets. You have paleo diets, Atkin diets, Dukan diets, keto diets, and so on. And it's very confusing to know what's the best diet on the long term. Now, if you base yourself on aging and biogerontology, which is the science of aging, then you can much better see what's the best diet on the long term. And that's very valuable. Um, a quick example, uh, take milk. Uh, there's a lot of discussion, is milk healthy or not? Uh, you have proponents and detractors, uh, and it's an everlasting discussion. But we know that milk actually activates all kinds of pivotal aging pathways. And milk is made by nature to make calves grow very fast. So it, um, uh, it activates mTOR, IGF, insulin-like growth factor pathways, insulin pathways, and so on. Um, and these pathways, we know they are canonical or pivotal aging pathways. So if you stimulate these aging pathways, you accelerate aging. Now, milk actually ac activates or stimulates those pathways uh, a lot. Uh, so this is one example how insights into aging can help us to better assess the long-term effects of specific foods like milk. Uh, a lot of people say milk is healthy because it contains calcium and amino acids and the approaches from a very reductionistic viewpoint, like just concentrating on calories or some micronutrients in milk and ignoring the thousands of other nutrients in milk that could actually accelerate aging or could have a negative effect. So um, knowing that milk activates all kinds of aging pathways like mTOR, EEGF, and uh, insulin, it's very likely that milk consumption on the long term as an adult is, is, not, uh, is perhaps not beneficial and could accelerate aging. Um, another example uh, are high protein diets. Uh, so if you really consume too much animal protein, um, it, could actually, uh, it could accelerate aging. Of course, there are a lot of people who say protein is healthy, you have, kid, uh, you have paleo diet and, and so on. Um, but um, indeed, on the short term, you improve your health if you eat uh, a lot of protein, animal protein, um, and uh, leave out the carbs, which, of, which is a good thing. Too much, too much carbs is also not good. Uh, but we see too much animal protein could accelerate aging also because it activates strong aging pathways like mTOR 
And we've seen a lot of studies that if you give animals a lot of uh, animal protein, they, act, uh, they age faster, uh, they die faster, or they have more aging-related diseases. I'm not going to say that protein is not healthy. I think it's very important to take sufficient amounts of protein. But uh, yeah, just taking like a large portion of your calories in the form of proteins, like some diets advise, mm. could make you feel better in the short term. You improve insulin sensitivity and so on. But in the long term, it could perhaps accelerate aging. So these are some examples how insights into aging can help us to much better assess the long-term effects of specific foods and diets. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with those uh, uh, statements that uh, there are like some connections between um, this mTOR pathway and IGF-1 pathway with aging and accelerated aging and uh, these animal proteins and uh, milk especially uh, do uh, trigger those uh, much more than let's say plant-based uh, foods and plant-based proteins. Um, but uh, I think I, th I think it's also like matters the in terms of the uh, type of protein or the amino acid component of the protein. Like specifically, like methionine is the amino acid that is associated with um, accelerated aging out of all the like amino acids, uh, so to say. And uh, there's actually like foods that have you know protein, but they have less methionine, and um, like you know more like these you know plant-based sources have less methionine. But as well as like this, all the collagen-rich proteins have much less uh, protein, the methionine, and they have like lysine, which uh, counteracts with methionine and like lowers methionine. And uh, there was like actually studies that you know, the glycine supplementation itself, even in the presence of like high methionine intake, uh, actually has like these longevity effects, even if the methionine intake is high. So it's not almost like a matter of like how much methionine; it's a matter of like a balance between the glycine and the methionine. So you need to get like. Um, different kinds of these amino acids and uh, too much of, let's say, these an anabolic amino acids that uh, stimulate the mTOR, like uh, leucine and lysoleucine and uh, methionine, then that would be bad. But uh, if you're getting like high amounts of protein, but you're still getting it from like the other glycine-rich sources, then um, theoretically, at least that would like help to like uh, mitigate some of the higher protein uh, intake. Yeah, that is definitely tr true. Very interesting too. Uh, so not all proteins are the same and not all amino acids have the same effect on health and lifespan and longevity. So uh, it's definitely uh, true in the sense that uh, myotin restriction could extend lifespan. Uh, we see that myotin uh, restriction diets. So where you follow a diet that does not contain a lot of methionine, which is an amino acid, can extend lifespan and it has been associated with uh, improved health and longevity. Um, so methionine could, uh, high methionine intake could accelerate aging um, and definitely glycine is another amino acid that actually could be healthy. Uh, we see if you give glycine to animals or humans, uh, you could extend lifespan or improve health span uh, because glycine has a lot of uh, beneficial effects on the body. For example, glycine works as a chaperone, so it can stick a little bit to proteins and uh, protect proteins against damage and accumulation. Glycine also has epigenetic effects, especially in the mitochondrial uh, epigenome. So the mitochondria, they have their own uh, DNA and, um, and also the epigenome uh, can be protected or improved through glycine. Uh, glycine also plays an important role in the methionine um, uh, methylation pathway. Um, so glycine is definitely a very important amino acid. And actually, we added it to our uh, nutraceutical uh, glycine mm -hmm. because it has shown to extend lifespan in, in multiple different species and has been associated with a lot of interesting health effects. Um, so definitely, and with, with, uh, to come back to your remark about uh, what kind of protein, um, yeah, we, we see that 
animal protein is, is less healthy than plant-based protein, you might say, well, but protein is protein, so how is that possible? Well, it definitely is possible because plant-based protein contains other um, amino acid sequences uh, than, uh, or uh, contains other amounts of amino acids, so specific amino acids compared to uh, animal protein. And we see this also in studies. For example, our studies done in rats, if you give them exactly the same amount of protein in the diet, but the amount in one group of rats is animal protein and the other exactly the same amount of protein is plant-based protein, that the rats that receive animal uh, protein or animal-based protein live shorter um, versus the rats that get uh, plant-based, equal amounts of plant-based protein. Um, so definitely there is a, a difference between animal and plant-based protein uh, for the reasons we highlighted different amino acids, different ratios of amino acids. And um, yeah, uh, and of course, plant-based uh, protein is accompanied, uh, accompanied by a, a lot of other healthy nutrients you find uh, in plants and, and not necessarily in meat. But it's a very complicated discussion because a lot of people will perhaps um, not be happy hearing this because, you know, there's a lot of controversy about plant-based versus animal-based protein. And they will say, yeah, but look at the vegetarians. Uh, if they follow a plant-based diet, they often are unhealthy, they look pale, uh, they get bald quickly, uh, that's true, uh, and, and they, um, they have, are brain-fucked and, and so on. And, and that's true because the, the, both diets are, are, have some uh, advantages and disadvantages. So an animal-based diet uh, enables you to be more certain you take enough micronutrients. So there are a lot of micronutrients that, you, that are difficult or not found in, in plant-based diets like vitamin B12, carnitine, zinc, carnosine, and so on. And you also need those. Um, and so if you eat a, a very, let's say, animal um, protein-rich diet, like a paleo diet, uh, there is less risk of deficiencies. Um, but the, the disadvantage is that you accelerate aging because the animal protein accelerates aging um, quite a lot, in fact. Um, but then the vegetarians, they, um, they, we've seen a lot of studies, they live longer and so on. But still, they have often a much higher risk of deficiencies mm. um, because they need vitamin B12, other B vitamins, zinc, carnosine, iron, and so on. And it's just much more difficult to get that from plants. So the solution is, is in fact, quite simple. Um, try to consume not too much animal protein. So if you do uh, eat animal protein, try to uh, replace red meat uh, with white meat, like poultry, um, uh, like chicken or, or turkey. And uh, if you do eat animal protein, also try to replace it with fish, especially fatty fish. Um, and uh, try to also consume more plant-based protein and take supplements. So I think uh, it's a bit of a misconception uh, that if you eat healthy, you don't need supplements. A lot of governments say that. I think a lot of governments base them on, on outdated research and uh, let's say very um, simplistic studies. Uh, that uh, do not take into account the long-term effects of specific diets. So a lot of uh, recommendations for micronutrients, like how much vitamin B12 you need to take or how much vitamin E and so on, are based on studies like sometimes even 60 years ago that are very rudimentary, that don't look at the long-term effects of, of, of uh, ideal levels of these nutrients. So I think you need supplements. And uh, so I would, yeah, to put it briefly, um, try to consume less animal protein, replace it more with uh, healthier plant-based protein and, uh, and take supplements because even a healthy diet, uh, it's very difficult to get enough uh, micronutrients uh, mm. in that regard. 
Mm. How, how big of a like you you mentioned that the color restriction is a huge thing for uh, longevity, and I, I I think that you know that's one of the most clearly established things that uh, contributes to uh, extending lifespan in all species, like just eating less calories and not being like obese or not being um, with uh, metabolic uh, diseases. So how big of a role or how, which one would be more important, like the calorie restriction itself or the types of foods that you eat? Like, could you still be living longer if you eat like a, let's say like a McDonald's diet or <laughs> like, yeah, like you eat a Twinkie diet, but you take like multivitamins and you take all these different supplements. So you get your micronutrients, but you're eating like, you know, poor quality food, uh, but you're in a calorie deficit, uh, so to say, compared to, let's say like a whole foods diet uh, that isn't in calorie restriction and you're getting like all the nutrients from that, uh, so to say. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, so let's um, where, where to start? Uh, I I, th I think it's um, uh, we know that caloric restriction uh, can likely be very healthy and uh, the same for fasting. So we we do uh, advise to now and then fast. We even wrote a whole article on, on our website about this uh, on overslap.com, the best way to fast. Uh, uh, and the same about caloric restriction. We see it can um, uh, enable healthy fix, but it's very important to do it properly. And uh, it's very important to make sure you are not uh, becoming deficient in micronutrients. So if you fast or you do caloric restriction, so eat less in general, um, it increases your risk of micronutrient deficiencies quite a lot. And um, that's a problem because most people are already deficient in micronutrients anyhow, even with a normal diet. So if they eat less, then they even take in less micronutrients and it could aggravate it. So what I think is very important is to make sure, first of all, you take enough micronutrients. Now that's very difficult to do. Uh, you just cannot really pop a multivitamin because there are other problems with multivitamins. Often the doses are too low. Uh, the forms of the micronutrients are the wrong forms, like they use magnesium oxide, while it's better to use magnesium malate or they use selenium methionine, while selenium yeast would be better, or they use alpha tocopherol as a substitute for vitamin E. Um, while in nature we have eight different forms of vitamin E, uh, seven of which uh, you don't find in most uh, multivitamins and so on. Um, so I think uh, you need to take micronutrients, but you have to do it smartly. And also we have written a whole article about uh, on our blog, um, how to do that uh, because ideally you would need to take bulk nutrients separately like these are nutrients you need in much higher doses than you would often find in multivitamins um, like magnesium you would need to take it separately because you need three four hundred milligrams of magnesium per day and most supplements only contain like 80 milligrams or even less the same for potassium the same for calcium most supplements contain too little of those bulk nutrients so you would need to take them separately then you can take a multivitamin on top of that to make sure you have the, 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 the uh, so, uh, let's say, the substances that are found in adequate doses in most supplements, like molybdenum and man manganese and so on. Um, and on top of that, you would need to eat specific foods that are rich in specific micronutrients because through the foods, it's much better to take them uh, than through uh, multivitamins. Uh, an example is uh, selenium. Um, most supplements contain selenium methionine. It's not an ideal form. Uh, ideally, you just eat one or two Brazil nuts per day because they are very high in selenium and they contain different forms of selenium that are much better absorbed uh, and, and bioactive than the selenium methionine found in most 
supplements. Same for vitamin E. As I told before, uh, supplements only contain alpha tocopherol, which is just one form of vitamin E. It's often even also a synthetic form. Um, and even some supplements contain uh, natural um, uh, forms of vitamin E that are not good, in fact, uh, like succinate uh, vitamin E derivatives, which could uh, be actually a proxy then. So anyway, it's very complicated supplements, but to make a long story short, um, it's better to, to eat like two handfuls of uh, almonds or hazelnuts per day and some avocado, which are very high in vitamin E, because it's all, even if you eat other foods like green leafy vegetables, which are also often said to be high in vitamin E, uh, they are, uh, they, they, they just don't contain enough to, uh, to make sure uh, you reach the, the minimum amount you need for an optimal long healthy life. So this is what I would advise. Um, I would advise to uh, eat a, a healthy diet, so um, which consists of eating less animal protein, more plant-based protein. If you do eat animal protein, eat fatty fish and, and white meat. Um, and um, don't eat too much carbs, so eat less bread, potatoes, pasta, rice too. Replace them more with vegetables and mushrooms and legumes. And eat more healthy fats, like from fatty fish or uh, olives or walnuts and, and seeds like chia seed and, and uh, flax seed. Um, so that's in a nutshell longevity diet. Do now and then fasting, but don't overdo it. So I would not do like alternate day fasting, like fasting every two days. I would not even perhaps, I would be careful with fasting like two or three days per week because often we see people, uh, they just lose too much weight and they become even more deficient in micronutrients. So uh, the best way probably to fast is like a three-day fast every month or every three months. Mm. So at the start of every season, you could do a three-day fast uh, because th a three-day fast activates all kinds of pathways that you don't activate with a, a one-day fast eh, because it, yeah. with after uh, two, three days, you go deep into ketosis and so on. And add uh, to that smart uh, food supplements, um, uh, health supplements, and, and longevity supplements, because I differentiate between the two. Uh, health supplements are vitamins and minerals and other micronutrients uh, which you need to live a long, proper life. But taking extra of them is not going to extend lifespan. So these are like uh, vitamins and minerals like potassium, calcium, uh, magnesium, vitamin K, um, omega-3 fatty acids, choline, and so on. Um, if you are deficient in, in those, you shorten lifespan, but taking extra of them is not really going to extend lifespan as we've seen in a lot of studies. Um, and then you have the longevity supplements, which can actually extend lifespan. And these are supplements like alpha-ketoglutarate, microdose lithium, uh, glycine, as we discussed, um, magnesium malate, and uh, uh, other interesting substances that have a lot of science behind them uh, in regards to extending longevity. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, like there's, not like one clear diet for longevity that will apply to everyone there will be like some changes in genetics and uh, goals as well and uh, maybe like yeah, different kinds of body compositions require certain different kinds of macronutrient ratios etc so i think yeah like there's somewhat of uh, a nuance or context in that discussion uh, but I, I agree with the main points that you know don't eat too much calories um, don't eat like a super high protein diet uh, but don't under-eat protein either. Uh, it is good to get like all these different kinds of uh, plants and uh, vegetables and stuff like that for their uh, because generally they are, tend to be like lower in calories as well. Uh, but also like with uh, the um, 
less methionine and those kind of things, which I agree with uh, completely. And uh, yeah, like just eat like a, I don't know, like a <laughs> yeah, like a, just like a moderate kind of a diet, but don't don't um, overeat anything in in that sense. Um, yeah, perhaps to quickly add to that, uh, I, I agree with you that. Uh, there is a lot of also interest in personalized diets and so on. And um, I also work for an investment fund and we invest in, into these technologies that assess your epigenome, your microbiome, your transcriptome, your epigenome, your genome to, uh, yeah, uh, to tailor more, uh, to specifically tailor health advice uh, to your uh, background. But in general, um, the, the, the red line, or let's say the broad lines, apply to everyone. Uh, so whatever your background, your genome, epigenome, microbiome, um, it, it's important to, to do the things I just mentioned, and not to eat too much animal-based uh, protein, eat more plant-based protein, eat more healthy fats, uh, make sure you take uh, enough supplements. That applies almost to everyone, uh, regardless of the genetic background. And almost everyone is failing, falling short on that. So most people don't even get those basics right. Um, so I, I'm always like more a practical guy. I think it's also because I'm a medical doctor. I just like to give practical advice, uh, mm -hmm. really see what works best for people and just try to get these basics right. It's, it's already very difficult for most people uh, because even those basics are very complicated. Uh, so there's a lot of misconceptions there. And then I agree if you get those basics right, you can focus on the microbiome, your own unique genetics your own unique epigenome, metabolome, and so yeah. on, and further tailor it. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, a bit overhyped also because um, we currently don't know enough yet about this. Uh, so you can, you have tests that assess your uh, genome to give food advice or your microbiome. Uh, you, uh, so uh, you send a, a sample of your feces to a lab, they analyze it, and they uh, give you uh, feedback regarding your microbiome. And then they, sometimes they even give food advice. I think we have to be very careful with interpretations about that because we don't know uh, enough uh, about that yet. Um, yeah. So sometimes I see people getting advice like you should not eat uh, oranges or tomatoes uh, because uh, these are these tests, but these tests are often not that accurate and um, also it changes. So perhaps uh, one month you cannot eat tomatoes according to a test, but six months later, uh, the same test will uh, allow you to eat tomatoes, but then People uh, that don't retest, they will uh, eat their whole life uh, no tomatoes anymore. So the, we have to be very careful with this advice. It's uh, often still too preliminary, but it's of course very promising. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Like people can get caught in the like uh, nuance too much or in the details. <laughs> like for instance, it doesn't make sense to like you know think about your microbiome or genetics if you're still, or at least it would be not the first priority if you're still like eating a hamburger and french fries every day or uh, yeah. some of that so like once you fix the idea like the basics then for sure like it does more uh, value in getting uh, from the uh, nuance as well because then you would actually know whether or not it is uh, practical yes and, and the basics is very difficult as, as i mentioned before because i often see even people who eat very healthy and they are deficient in all kinds of micronutrients um, so and, and so there's also a misconception that if you eat healthy, uh, you don't need micronutrients because often, yeah, these people are deficient in iron, especially women. Uh, they are deficient in iodine, uh, magnesium, um, selenium. Uh, so these are like some classical examples of omega-3 fatty acids and uh, or all kinds of B vitamins. 
And the pro problem is people underestimate it. Uh, so they think, well, I just take a multivitamin or I eat healthy. I don't need uh, the specific, uh, I don't need to take multivitamins or extra micronutrients. But um, they often do, uh, because even with a healthy diet, it's uh, almost impossible to get enough micronutrients for a long, healthy life. And people perhaps will say that's impossible because how they did it in prehistoric times before you could go to the CVS or Walmarts and, and buy supplements. Well, the, the answer is quite simple. Uh, nature didn't create perfect bodies. So uh, for hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors have always suffered from micronutrient deficiencies, especially iodine and iron. Uh, compared to other species, we are in fact as humans very bad in absorbing a lot of micronutrients. Uh, like iron, uh, compared to other animals or fish or plants, they can uh, absorb iron much better from the diet than we do. Of course, too much iron can also accelerate aging because it's pro-oxidative. But uh, anyway, um, to make a long story short, a, a lot of people, they think they are healthy, but they're deficient in micronutrients. And the thing is, you don't really notice it. Uh, sometimes you do notice it. So you have brain fog, you have concentration problems, you don't sleep well. Uh, because yeah, people think it's normal, but likely it's because they are deficient in all kinds of micronutrients. Um, but often you don't even notice it. Uh, but on the long term, it really can increase your risk of, of all kinds of diseases if you're deficient in B vitamins or magnesium uh, or, uh, or iodine. And it can increase your risk of cancer, Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, and so on. But it only plays out after many, many decades. And um, so I often see people uh, who in the West, despite being overfed, because they take in so much food, so much calories, are still malnourished because they don't have enough micronutrients. Um, and it's very complicated micronutrients because of, um, if you want to do it properly, uh, it's, it's just very difficult. And some people say, yeah, well, but I did a blood test and my blood test is normal. But the problem is also that blood tests are not very good in um, tracking down nutrient deficiencies because they just measure content of nutrients in the blood plasma and not in the cells or in the intercellular fluid, which is found between the cells. So you can have normal magnesium levels or B vitamin levels or vitamin E levels, according to your blood test, but still be quite uh, deficient. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but what about like some of these promising uh, longevity compounds um, used as supplements to have like beneficial effect on longevity, like, you know, NAD on NMN and those kind of things? Yeah, so I think the last uh, decade, we really learned more about aging than the last thousand years before. Um, and that also accounts for uh, interventions to slow down aging. And uh, so the last decade, we have seen a lot of interesting studies, much better well-conducted studies uh, coming out, uh, demonstrating the, the interesting effectiveness or potential of all kinds of substances to slow down aging. Um, and that's great because the decades before uh, there was this, let's say, almost myth um, that um, or idea that antioxidants slow down aging. Uh, but we quite quickly found out that's not act actually the case. So if you give a lot of antioxidants to animals, they don't really live longer. Sometimes you even shorten their lifespan. Um, but um, we now see that there are much more interesting substances that can slow down aging um, by uh, working uh, or by manifesting other mechanisms or acting on other mechanisms than antioxidant activity. Um, so, yeah, you have, for example, uh, the NAD boosters like NMN, which uh, increase NAD levels, 
which are shown to mitigate all kinds of aging effects in, in different species and also have uh, shown to protect muscle health uh, or improve muscle health or metabolism in humans. You have substances like alpha-ketoglutarate, which have shown to extend lifespan in multiple species and also have, uh, have been known for decades to have health benefits in humans. Um, so alpha-ketoglutarate can do this because it works on the mitochondria and it, it improves mitochondrial health. It also has epigenetic effects. We also have microdose lithium. So there are a lot of studies uh, showing that lithium can extend lifespan. Uh, also, we see that um, in areas where there is a lot of lithium in the drinking water, that people live longer and there is also less Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. And if you give lithium to animals, uh, then they also get less Alzheimer's disease and so on. Um, so that's very interesting. Um, you have substances like lysine that also have shown to extend lifespan. Um, and pterostilbene, which also have a shown to extend lifespan, uh, and fisetin, which is uh, often called a senolytic, but it also has a lot of um, anti-inflammatory uh, effects on, on the body. So these are a few of the many interesting uh, nutraceuticals that have a lot of great science behind them to uh, address aging. And uh, perhaps another one is glucosamine, which is uh, mostly known to improve joint health. But uh, little people or, or few people know that glucosamine also has shown to extend lifespan in multiple species um, because uh, glucosamine can reduce inflammation, it can improve mitochondrial biogenesis, so it uh, can increase the amount of mitochondria in the cell and, and so on. And uh, in humans, we have seen in studies that look at supplements and longevity or reduced mortality, that most supplements didn't really work. Uh, most supplements uh, didn't, uh, uh, were not associated with increased lifespan, but only a few did. And the very few that did uh, uh, extend lifespan were uh, glucosamine. Uh, and that has shown in, uh, that has been shown studies in, in, in large studies both in the US and, and in Europe. Um, and also there was a big study in the British Medical Journal that showed an association between glucosamine intake um, in humans and reduced uh, cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. um, so these are a few examples of uh, interesting uh, longevity supplements, which are different, as I explained before, uh, from health supplements. Yeah. Health supplements are more the regular supplements like multivitamins and so on, which you also need to make sure you're not deficient in important micronutrients. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and the ones that you mentioned, they're actually, uh, you know, they're not some, um, you know, super new, like uh, underground uh, longevity ingredients. Like the ones that you mentioned are pretty, you know, been around for a long time and researched very well and have, you know, proven ways of affecting lifespan and health span, like lysine and uh, alpha keto glutarate as well is actually something that I've become like a big fan recently as well after starting to take your uh, product as well and uh, researching a bit more about it and uh, glucosamine and those kind of things uh, they're like very uh, you know you know easily accessible and they're not super expensive as well and they have like proven effects on uh, the aging uh, pathways in the human uh, body but I want to do definitely want to cover a lot more about the uh, alpha keto glutarate so uh, because there's like the actually recent in November, like a month ago, uh, there was a study uh, uh, that a seven-month supplementation of alpha ketoglutarate like reduced the biological age of humans uh, by seven or eight years, even. So uh, 
you know, that's sort of like a pretty crazy <laughs> result for only using a supplement for seven months and having like an age, biological age reversal for like eight uh, years. Uh, so, uh, you know, and there's also like other studies in mice as well that's showing that it increases lifespan by up to 40%. Uh, so, um, you know, what is alpha ketoglutarate and uh, what does it do in the body? Yeah, uh, yeah, great. Let me think where to start. So, uh, alpha ketoglutarate is a very interesting substance, definitely. Um, it has been around for a while, like athletes and, and um, uh, fitness uh, fanates have been taking it to improve stamina. Um, but yeah, we have seen in the last few years um, some uh, great studies showing that uh, alpha ketoglutarate can extend lifespan. Um, it can do that by many in many different ways. Uh, alpha cuticulitrate can improve uh, epigenetic maintenance. So it's an important substrate of uh, enzymes that maintain the epigenome. Now, epigenetic dysregulation is probably uh, a very important cause why we age. So the epigenome determines which genes are switched on or off. And the older we get, the more the system becomes dysregulated. Um, so that, that's a big problem. Uh, for example, when we get older, uh, pro-cancer genes are switched on, increasing our risk of cancer, which is not good. Actually, they should be switched off. And uh, maintenance or housekeeping or repair genes are switched off during aging while they should uh, be switched on. So uh, these changes in the epigenome that uh, result in, in uh, altered gene transcription or altered gene activity contributes to aging. Um, and uh, alpha-ketoglutarate is important uh, to uh, maintain a proper epigenome. Uh, for example, it's a substrate of theta enzyme, uh, enzymes. So theta enzymes, they are important epigenetic modulators uh, that uh, can uh, yeah, reprogram the epigenome. Um, it also works in that way synergistically with uh, vitamin C. So vitamin C and alpha-ketoglutarate are important substrates for these epigenetic theta enzymes to maintain the epigenome. Um, Alpha-ketoglutarate also is an important fuel for the mitochondria and also improves mitochondrial health. So the mitochondria are the power plants of our cells and um, uh, AKG improves also mitochondrial function in that way. AKG also improves collagen synthesis, which could be interesting for skin health. And uh, yeah, it, it has uh, also all kinds of other uh, benefits. So uh, it's an interesting substance. Like I said, studies, uh, especially in the last few years, we have seen studies showing that AKG uh, lengthens lifespan, but more importantly, it all, uh, even more drastically improves health span uh, besides lifespan. And that's interesting because mice that get uh, AKG, especially old mice, um, they just, they age more healthier. So they have less aging related diseases. Uh, their fur uh, grays, uh, becomes gray less fast. They lose, uh, also they uh, uh, lose less fur and so on. Especially in female mice, we saw great effects of AKG on, on fur quality. So they had less uh, loss of fur and, and less grain of fur. Um, and that's interesting. Um, so AKG is a great substance. And regarding what you mentioned about the clock, uh, the, indeed the re there was a recent study showing that AKG given to humans, it reversed the epigenetic clock. Um, now I have some uh, reservations with this study. Let, let me first say, I think the study is great in the sense that it uses epigenetic clocks to uh, assess the uh, specific longevity supplement in humans. That's, I strongly believe in that approach because epigenetic clocks are probably one of the best methods to measure biological age because it's very difficult to have a good biomarker of aging. Uh, mm -hmm. You cannot just draw blood or take your blood pressure or take a scan to measure how old you really are. 
um, because we, there are not good biomarkers of aging, but epigenetic clocks are very interesting. So they look at uh, the epigenetic signature um, to determine your biological age. Now, regarding the study, it showed like seven, eight years of age reversal. We have to take these results with um, a grain of potassium salt um, in the sense that, uh, yeah, the clock they used, it's not a very accurate uh, clock, uh, to be honest. It also has not been substantially validated by other researchers. So we just have to take their word for it. Uh, there are much better, much more accurate epigenetic clocks out there. You have the classic Horvath clocks, the 2013 Horvath clock, the 2019 uh, or 18 Horvath clock, um, and uh, the Green Age clock, and so on, um, and other clocks that are much, much more accurate. So I, um, the, the clock they used, it's, it's not uh, the best clock, in fact, far of it, and, and you have to take the age reversal. Uh, so with a little grain of salt. So, uh, but uh, nonetheless. Um, it's, it's a great way forward, and we are also looking into uh, our own uh, our own clocks. I speak into almost every epigenetic clock company out there, and uh, um, we, we are also looking into what are the best epigenetic clocks. But probably in the future, the best uh, clocks will be a combination of different clocks. It will be a combination of epigenetic clocks, ribosomal clocks, um, microbiomal clocks, metabolic clocks, transcriptomic clocks. Uh, looking at also different uh, tissues um, and uh, and even epigenetic clocks can be improved upon because a lot of epigenetic clocks they just look at methylation of the DNA um, and they uh, but you can also look at histonylation so how the DNA is wrapped around histones you can even look at chromatin uh, formation so that would be chromatin based clocks so you have some researchers working on on the, these kinds of clocks. Um, and even regarding the methylation, uh, you need AI um, to analyze these methylation patterns of your epigenome to determine your age. Uh, because even good clocks currently, they use simple uh, mathematical models like linear regression. Uh, but yeah, if you use AI or more sophisticated algorithms to analyze epigenetic patterns, uh, you can perhaps achieve a more accurate uh, measurements. And keep in mind that a lot of current epigenetic clocks uh, are uh, look in fact ironically at chronological age and not really mortality uh, risk or disease. Um, and ideally, we have clocks that look uh, at, at a lot of two um, that really, but these clocks are much more difficult to come by or to develop because you actually need to follow a population and see how healthy they are and uh, whether they uh, have specific diseases or have died yet. But these clocks are also uh, in development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. So, uh... I, I think yeah, like the uh, their uh, you know the methylation clock is a really good tool. It's, I think it's one of the best tools at the moment to like see the in the present moment like what the biological age uh, appears to be. But you know I think the kind of biggest problem with that can be also that it's just very uh, variable or very changeable. Like you can change it with your by changing your lifestyle, you can change the biological age result as well. By maybe I don't, I don't know how fast it would have occurred, but maybe like within a few weeks you could change the, your biological age uh, by just you know let's say you go from a really healthy diet to a super bad diet, or you stop sleeping for like a week, you don't sleep at all. Then I think your biological age result would also be like drastically just worse uh, because of that. So it's quite, I think it's very really sensitive to like these changes in uh, your lifestyle that you may have. Yeah, definitely. I think epigenetic clocks are a great way. But secondly, finding a good biomarker of aging. Um, because like I mentioned, it's just very difficult to assess your biological age. And 
if you don't have good tools to measure aging, it's very difficult to develop interventions to um, uh, impact aging because we really cannot measure very well whether intervention slow down or reverse aging in humans. But epigenetic clocks and older clocks could be a great way forward in that regard. So as soon as we have good biomarkers of aging, we can then much better assess whether an intervention really works and can slow down or reverse aging. Uh, that being said, of course, epigenetic clocks, there, there are a lot of different epigenetic clocks and they still have some drawbacks. Eh? The, the, it's possible to have like a very good epigenetic age according to your epigenetic clock, but you can have cancer. Eh? Um, uh, there are also some experiments showing that, for example, mice that have a mutation in their mitochondria and they age much faster, they die much faster, they look much older because they have mitochondrial dysfunction, but they have normal epigenetic clock results. So not all clocks are uh, equally well yet, uh, and, and they, ideally the clocks look at uh, not just uh, are not calibrated on chronological age, which is a a proxy for your mortality risk. And we all know if you're 80 years old, you have more uh, risk of dying than when you're 50. But ideally, we calibrate the clocks on uh, mortality, actual mortality and diseases. Um, and uh, those clocks are probably the most interesting clocks. And, and then, uh, like I said, we need to more complex algorithms, not just simple linear regression. And uh, yeah, we need to uh, look perhaps not just at the epigenome, but also at the transcriptome proteome, metabolome, microbiome, in, in also different tissues to really yeah, get a good, good picture of, of our uh, biological age. And that, that's going to be the future and will tremendously accelerate the field because then we can properly test all kinds of aging interventions in humans. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but what's the difference between the, these different types of um, alpha-ketoglutarate? Uh, the one that you have is calcium alpha-ketoglutarate. So uh, why choose a calcium? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for, for our nutraceutical, uh, because we developed a nutraceutical containing, in our view, the most interesting substances to slow down aging with the most science behind them. And, and we selected them in a synergistical way so that they can have a synergistic effect. But um, we picked not just plain alpha-ketoglutarate like other supplements. We used calcium alpha-ketoglutarate uh, because the study, most interesting studies that show uh, lifespan extension and health span extension used calcium alpha-ketoglutarate. And uh, the calcium alpha-ketoglutarate is more interesting in the sense um, that it uh, releases the, the alpha-ketoglutarate more slowly. Uh, and it's also less taxing for the stomach because uh, alpha-ketoglutarate, it's an acid and the calcium can buffer that a little bit. Um, so these are some reasons why uh, we picked uh, the calcium form, which is much more rare to combine than just the plain old uh, alpha-ketoglutarate. Mm. And also we added vitamin C because, uh, like I mentioned before, vitamin C works together with alpha-ketoglutarate in a synergistic way on the epigenome. And we also combined it with other substances that work on the epigenome, uh, like a microdose lithium, uh, fisetin, um, and so on, pterostubin, um, glycine, they, they all uh, act on, on the epigenome because we believe that epigenetic dysregulation is a very important uh, reason why we age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, really, really good. Um, and actually, yeah, like I've been, become like a pretty big fan of alpha ketoglutarate after uh, reading all the studies and stuff and uh, seeing like uh, the potential. Because uh, you know you can't get it from any dietary sources. You can't get alpha ketoglutarate from like any food. You have to kind of your body contains it, but you need to get it from a supplement if you want to like uh, boost your levels of it. And it does de decline with age as well. Yes. 
definitely. Nice. Um, but is there like any dosage requirements, or what's the minimum effective dosage for that? Yeah, well, uh, if you look at uh, what aging scientists recommend, uh, often it's at least a thousand milligrams per day. Um, and probably it's even more, uh, so you can take a couple of grams per day. Uh, like I said, ideally in the calcium form, um, but you can take really quite a lot of it. Uh, the same with glycine. Um, it's also a bulk longevity supplement. Um, for, for novels, we added uh, two grams of glycine, but there have been done studies with 20 to 40 grams of glycine per day, which is quite a lot. Nice. Um, but we see already health and longevity effects from around uh, from uh, with lower doses. Um, so mm -hmm. that's the great thing about these uh, longevity supplements. Besides that, they have great science behind them. Um, they have been around for decades, so they are known to be very safe. Um, they are, have been studied in humans and often been associated with health uh, effects and reduced mortality in humans. Mm -hmm. And they have a very great dose tolerance, so you can really take even much much more and still have no side effects. So they are very very safe. And that's great. And that's what you often don't really have with drugs. And I think also that's one of the reasons why I believe in nutraceutical approaches to longevity. Um, the advantage of creating a nutraceutical, uh, uh, there are multiple advantages, in fact. But one advantage is that you can use combinations of, uh, of substances in, in a nutraceutical. While if you develop a drug, you can only use one drug for one target, as classical pharma still thinks, uh, and that's an outdated way, because even if you have one drug to target one mechanism, um, aging is very complex and it's called by multiple different uh, mechanisms. Uh, mm. So it's like trying to fix a dilapidated, worn down house by just fixing uh, the broken windows, but not fixing the leaky basement or the leaky roof or the crumbling walls. Um, so, if, you know, if you want to uh, address aging, you need to fix all these things uh, at the same time and not just focusing on like aspects. So even if I have developed a drug that can improve mitochondrial dysfunction, then I still need to address epigenetic problem changes. I still need to uh, do something about the protein accumulation. I still need to do something about telomere uh, shortening, about the DNA damage, uh, about the dysregulated nutrient sensing. So th that's why uh, nutraceutical is so interesting. You can use multiple substances that can address all these aging hallmarks uh, in a synergistic way. Um, and, and also a lot of the, the substances we identified for, uh, for novels, they are ignored by big pharma because they cannot be patented. And that's very unfortunate because these substances have a lot of great time behind them. And if it would be patentable drugs, they would be perhaps some of them billion dollar blockbuster drugs. But Big Pharma ignores them because they cannot be patented, uh, despite having a lot of great science behind them. Uh, like even uh, substances like fisetin, they are very good in reducing inflammation. Uh, and, uh, and they have been compared to uh, even uh, anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and diclofenac and aspirin. Uh, and they have uh, like a very good, fisetin uh, uh, can also suppress inflammation very well. So, but they are ignored because, like I said, they cannot be patented. And I think with a nutraceutical company like Novos, we really can reinvigorate these uh, nutraceuticals again and, and give them the, the chance and, and the adoption they rightfully deserve. And like I said, they often have much less side effects and, and they have been known to be very safe uh, because many of them have been taken separately already for many years or decades in humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. And these are yeah, like pretty good, convenient um, 
mix you take, you get also like a huge amount of uh, magnesium, 300 milligrams. And uh, the glycine, yeah, like I'm a huge fan of glycine. So like you, you have like, yeah, the three, kind of one of three of one of my favorite nows at the moment, like glycine, uh, glucosamine sulfate, and um, the alpha-ketoglutarate, calcium alpha-ketoglutarate, as well as the hyaluronic acid. So <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty, like I really like, like this NOAA score. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of definitely plan on taking it uh, more on a regular basis. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's been great talking with you, uh, but before like we finish, I'm going to also cover a little bit about the, uh, what's your stance on like these other ones, you know, rapamycin and uh, metformin and those like more uh, mainstream uh, anti-aging drugs. Yeah, great question. So there are a lot of drugs that could potentially slow down aging. Um, met metformin is of course a very well-known one. Um, you have a lot of longevity hackers trying to take it uh, without having diabetes. And metformin is, of course, an anti-diabetic drug. It improves insulin sensitivity via a myriad of ways. Um, metformin could be interesting. Um, I would not, uh, of course, I am not advising to take uh, any prescription drugs uh, to, to slow down aging off-label uh, necessarily. I think we need more studies um, in humans to really show whether metformin can slow down aging and reduce mortality. Uh, of course, there is a TAME trial, uh, which uh, will look into metformin, uh, whether it can extend lifespan. So I'm very eager to await the results from that uh, very big trial, but that will be uh, still many years away. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, rapamycin, which is a very interesting substance. Uh, it has a lot of strong signs. It could uh, slow down aging by inhibiting mTOR, for example, and in, in, inducing autophagy and so on. Um, so that, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you have also selegiline, which is uh, a drug that has been used to treat Parkinson's disease. Um, and there are some studies in low dose, uh, not the same dose as, as for Parkinson's disease, but like, uh, like one milligram every other day instead of 10 milligrams per day, could perhaps also slow down aging. There are studies about low dose aspirin uh, showing it could extend lifespan, but then there was a big study in humans where uh, people were given low-dose aspirin. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, showing, unfortunately, that it did not really extend lifespan and reduce mortality. Uh, but, uh, yeah, jury is still out there because uh, microdose uh, or low-dose aspirin could perhaps be interesting uh, still because there's a lot of other great uh, size. Um, yeah, uh, the, so these are a few examples of uh, prescription drugs that could perhaps uh, slow down aging. Um, but I, I would be careful because they can have side effects uh, like metformin. It can reduce the absorption of vitamin B12. So mm. you have to make sure you take also vitamin B12 and other B vitamins because they work synergistically. Uh, for rapamycin, um, there is a risk it can uh, perhaps in the long term uh, reduce uh, immune function or cause insulin uh, resistance. Uh, but uh, if you do it in a low dose and you alternate the dose, uh, it could mitigate that risk. Um, so there are ways to mitigate the side effects of, of these, uh, these drugs. Um, but yeah, we will go to a future where um, people will take um, uh, also prescription drugs to stay healthier for longer. Mm. Um, but uh, keep in mind that a lot of uh, uh, great nutraceuticals also have a lot of uh, science behind them. Uh, many papers showing that they can extend lifespan. Mm. Um, so you don't always have to resort to metformin. And in fact, on our blog, we wrote an article about alternatives for metformin, 
Um, these are like uh, nutraceuticals that are, can also uh, achieve similar effects or uh, impacts similar pathways like uh, metformin uh, to improve health and lifespan. Mm. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, this may be going back a few steps, but uh, you, you know, you wrote a book, the Longevity Code, which you talk about a lot of the things that we already discussed, like that you need to avoid the deficiencies and you need to reduce the growth pathways and you can like reverse the aging process. Uh, but we, one thing that we didn't cover yet is like that you do talk in the book is uh, stimulate hormesis. So uh, how does hormesis, you know, relate to longevity? Yeah, hormesis means a little bit of damage can be healthy. So uh, hormesis is one explanation why exercise is healthy or uh, why a lot of healthy foods are actually healthy. Because a lot of healthy foods contain toxins and these toxins actually rev up the defense mechanisms in our cells. They uh, increase the production of uh, uh, your own body antioxidant enzymes and um, other detoxification pathways, which actually could uh, yeah, enable uh, or, uh, a healthy effect. Um, same for exercise. Uh, one uh, way why exercise is healthy because it damages your body for a brief while. So if you exercise, you increase a lot of free radical production which damages your cells, and your cells will respond to that damage by repairing and protecting themselves better against the next time you would exercise. But in the meantime, your cells are better repaired, better protected. And that's why regular exercise has shown to extend lifespan and drastically reduce the risk of chronic diseases. Um, there are also studies showing that even a little bit of radio, uh, radioactive radiation or radioactivity um, can uh, be healthy in the sense that it slightly damages the your cells and uh, and then your cells will repair themselves better and protect themselves better. And uh, there are studies showing that if you irradiate fruit flies or other organisms, they could live longer. Um, so hormesis is uh, interesting, but of course the problem is, uh, yeah, when is it, when is it too much? Uh, when, uh, so we see that perhaps if you over-exercise, like triathletes and so on, it could perhaps actually damage your, your metabolism. Uh, so I would not overdo it, but uh, for most people, like regular exercise, even daily exercise is not going to uh, really uh, create too much hormesis or too much stress uh, in, in that regard. Um, of course, we see a lot of people perhaps overdoing it, like they uh, do triathlons or they take these saunas and then expose them to a lot of cold or they take a cold shower every day. I would still be quite careful with that because... Uh, it could cause too much stress. Uh, if you take a cold shower every day, uh, it, case, uh, it causes a rush of uh, cortisol and noradrenaline, which is perhaps not good on the long term. So there are studies showing health benefits of, of cold showers or saunas, but these are short-term health benefits. I still have to see the first uh, study consistently showing uh, longevity or a longer lifespan if you expose people uh, regularly to cold or uh, or other extreme stressors like extreme heat and, and so on. So I think hormesis is great and you can take a sauna now and then and can take a cold shower now and then, but I would be careful not overdoing it. And you have these biohackers like doing all this extreme stuff. Um, they go to cold retreats in Alaska and, and they get saunas regularly and they, uh, they do a lot of extreme stuff, but even the, the simple stuff, like not eating too much, like two meals per day, like I do, or making sure you take enough uh, health supplements, which is very difficult, and longevity supplements, and eating a healthy diet, that's so much more important than all this extreme stuff uh, for healthy lifespans. Um, sure. 
and a lot of people do that even wrong. Um, so because even uh, health supplement science is very complicated, and and uh, it's not being trained as a medical doctor uh, or or medical education. Um, so there is a lot of uh, yeah misconceptions even about that field. So uh, even the basics doing it right is, is very complicated and, and difficult. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, it, you can do anything in excess, and even like the good things in excess can be harmful. <laughs> so to say. Yes. Uh, but yeah, generally like a small amount of stress and a small amount out of this exercise and so on and cold, even moderation can be like very uh, beneficial. Um, Definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So like I said, a uh, sauna or some cold exposure now and then it's great and, uh, and exercising. Uh, these are great uh, examples of hormesis. But of course, you also have many other health effects. If you exercise, you uh, improve mitochondrial biogenesis. Um, you uh, increase, uh, let's speak, uh, brain-derived uh, uh, growth factors and so on to improve uh, brain health and cognition and so on. So exercise is, of course, uh, very important for uh, for longevity, also sleep. It's often underestimated that um, uh, yeah, sleep optimization is very important. On our website, we even uh, created an article with 50 tips to sleep better, ranging from the best supplements to sleep better, like melatonin, which also has shown to extend lifespan and glycine, by the way, can also uh, calm the mind and improve yourself to fall asleep, the magnesium, to medical uh, gadgets to sleep better, uh, and so on. So I think sleep, exercise are also very important, of course, uh, besides diet and supplements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's good uh, tips. Um, but yeah, we'll be putting all the links to uh, the blog and uh, your products, Novas, and um, your uh, profiles as well to the uh, description. And uh, yeah, it's been a great talking with you. Before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and uh, your work? Yeah, well, I have a website. It's called uh, christopherberg.com. Um, and people, uh, I also write a lot of articles for, uh, for novels. So on novelslabs.com, uh, if you go to our blog, you really find a lot of health and longevity advice there. And you can also download a free ebook there. Because novels, uh, it, just, uh, it doesn't just want to be a nutraceutical company. In our view, the best science-based nutraceutical company out there for longevity. But besides that, we also want to be a longevity platform. So we want to disseminate the best, most science-based, accurate knowledge to live a longer, healthy life. Uh, so we uh, put a lot of advice there about what's the best longevity diet, what are the best health supplements, and it's not sponsored in any way, best uh, uh, tech gadgets to live longer, um, and other insights. Uh, we have like 60 tips to live longer and so on. So we really want to, to be the go-to source for longevity and, and proper health advice. Uh, because we believe it's the future. Uh, the best way to stay healthy is by slowing down aging. And that way you can drastically reduce the risk of all kinds of aging-related diseases. And um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, uh, it's a very fascinating science, longevity. And um, it's a very powerful method for, for optimal health. So that's, uh, and there you can find a lot of uh, more uh, additional information. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, yes, and my last question is, uh... What's this one piece of advice or habit that you wish you adopted sooner? Oh, all right. So, yeah, I have a lot of uh, things that I think that are important. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's, uh, I think the most, uh, I, I think I wish I started to eat a more healthy longevity diet when I was sooner. I started to dig into nutritional longevity 
uh, when I was young, when I, especially when I was still a medical student, um, but I wish I, I had learned about it when I was younger. Um, so I think, yeah, knowledge about what's the best diet to, to live longer, um, sooner the better. And I think also nutraceuticals and, uh, and supplements are very important. It's often underestimated, but I think uh, it's, it's tremendously important to make sure you, you take in uh, adequate levels for optimal health. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just very difficult to do it right. Uh, as I explained before, you kind of just uh, take a multivitamin and, and or eating healthy and thinking uh, you don't need those. Uh, I think uh, we need much better training also uh, in that regard for uh, medical education and so on, but that's another discussion topic. So I think knowledge about the best longevity diet and um, best nutraceuticals and the importance of that uh, uh, are some very interesting insights. I wish I, uh, I learned sooner when I was still very young um, because uh, actually the way I had, I ate when I was young, it caused a lot of deficiencies in fact, and a lot of problems in, uh, because my parents, they, they, I love my parents, but they, 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 they gave me like uh, food like every parent would do. But even right. with that way, I probably was deficient in zinc, which caused some problems and, and magnesium and omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin E and so on, uh, which I now all uh, figured out and I feel better than ever before. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people can be helped with, with that knowledge. So uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's very important uh, to disseminate that because we see so many people in the West with suboptimal health. They have sleep problems, brain fog, they are tired the whole time. And they ask, well, how is that possible? But uh, if you see how we eat and how we live, uh, yeah, it, it, it's almost uh, yeah, uh, normal. You're deficient in all these important micronutrients. And, uh, and I think uh, diets are tremendously powerful to improve your health. And given medical doctors not trained in it, uh, going to your medical doctor, is he or she is not really going to help you. So I think we need to take our own health into our own hands. And that's why I also strongly believe in, in empowering people uh, health-wise and knowledge-wise. Um, and I think that's also going to be the future of medicine in one way or the other, where we see the shift from health care from the medical office to the living room, where people use AI, at-home testing, uh, knowledge from the internet, um, to much better track their health than their own medical doctor would be able to do. So uh, mm -hmm. that's also something I wish uh, that have uh, that would have come sooner. But it will arrive uh, in in the next uh, decade, and, and it's going to improve health of a lot of people. Nice, awesome. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> good message. Um, and prevention is yeah, like they're gonna be the key, you know, the best way to prevent you know accelerated aging. Yes, definitely. So it's, go it's going to be tremendously important um, prevention and our, our current healthcare system is mostly focused on acting when it's too late. So it's more, uh, pro it's more let's say, uh, reactive, uh, non-continuous uh, healthcare, while we need proactive, preventative, uh, continuous healthcare. And uh, things like wearables, insidables, at-home testing, AI assistance, um, and proper nutrition and supplements and other uh, ways to uh, track your health and optimize your health at home is going to be the future. And it's going to uh, keep people healthier for, for much better. Uh, personally, I think medicine is too complicated to only leave to your doctor, to leave to a human doctor, uh, because we only we are limited by our own uh, limited brains uh, as humans. Uh, so we definitely need AI and big data and wearables and sensors to continuously track these huge amounts of information that our body will continuously generate. 
uh, to yeah to enable much better health and uh, yeah that revolution is uh, is now starting so it's going to be a very fascinating uh, couple of next decades. Mm, awesome yeah looking forward to it and uh, yeah excited about uh, your work as well. Uh, well it was a uh, great talking with you and uh, yeah look, hopefully we can do another one in the future. Great yeah definitely great questions and my pleasure so. Um, Thank you. And also, I love your interest in, in health and longevity. So definitely, uh, let's hope we can meet again. And thank you again for the great interview. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to try out the Novos Core, then head over to NovosLabs.com and use the code SEAM10. Other than that, thanks for listening. My name is SEAM. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.